We're going to worship a little bit later on um, again, but I want to turn to God's word now. As we gather to meet um, as God's people, we always make time to pray, to praise, to worship, but also to read the word of God together. And um, we had been going through a series called The Hard Sayings of Jesus, and um, It's funny how you realise there are more hard sayings than you thought there were. Find them all the time. So we're going to, um, just felt led to this passage um, for today. Uh, So we're going to read, if you've brought your Bible with you, uh, from Matthew chapter 10, reading from verse 16. Um, If you haven't got your Bible with you, the reading will be on the screen. Uh, But I would encourage you, I've read this passage every day this week and um, been challenged every day by it. Um, And I would encourage you, if you have time this week, just to keep rereading it, because there is so much, and I will not be able to cover all the questions. You will leave this morning saying, he didn't say anything about that bit. And I apologize for that in advance, Um, but read it for yourselves. Meditate upon it. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you through it. So Jesus says to his disciples, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On account, you, on my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what you say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And when you are persecuted, really, I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The student is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the, house of, if the head of the house has, has been called Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household. So do not be afraid of them. For there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body that cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care? And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to turn, and then he quotes from the prophet Micah, a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. If anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, And anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. 
Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Is that tough enough for you? Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word, and we pray that as we spend time thinking about this passage, I pray that by your spirit you will help us to understand it better. And that we'll understand you better. In Jesus' name, amen. You will know the answer to this question. Which command is the most repeated in the Bible? Some people might imagine it would be something stern. If they don't really know God very well, they might think it's something like, Obey my word! Behave yourself. God's watching. Or it might be a kind of softer thing, like, believe in me. Love more. Trust more. But it's not. The most repeated command in the Bible is do not be afraid. Apparently, and I have not counted them myself, there is 365 do not be afraids or do not fears in the Bible. There's some homework for you this week. One for each day. We've heard them through the Christmas stories as well, haven't we? The angel appears to Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. The angel Gabriel appears to Mary, do not be afraid, you have found favour with God. Angel appears to the shepherds, do not be afraid, I bring you good news, a saviour has been born. And Jesus says, do not be afraid, three times in this passage that we've read in verses 26, 28, 31. And from the context of the passage, we can easily see why he says this to his disciples. Do not be afraid. He has just warned them that they will face fierce opposition on his account. There will be suffering in the Christian life. There will be persecution. That's the normal Christian life, according to Jesus. And we who live at this moment in time, in this nation, are truly blessed because we do not suffer in that way as much. And we have become used and taken for granted the freedom that we have maybe, that we live in this tolerant society and that even the Christmas messages that we hear from the Queen and the Prime Minister name the name of Jesus. And even our Prime Minister talking about the persecuted church in his Christmas message. None of us, I can't say none of us because I might be wrong, but not many of us will have come this morning fearing or expecting to be hauled into court because we believe in Jesus. We don't expect to be beaten up on our way home because we have come to praise the name of the one who is our Saviour and Lord. 
I don't fear as a pastor, and Edward doesn't fear as a pastor, that we will be killed because we are pastors. We don't expect to be brought before governors and authorities, kings or queens, on charges of treason. Yet, for many of our brothers and sisters, that is their experience. We know that. And sometimes we think, isn't it a shame that the rest of the world isn't as tolerant as our society? Isn't more like us? And then we ask ourselves the question, why is it that in Western Europe particularly, or Western society, that the church is in decline the most in our world? Could it be a sign that on a, on a general scale, very general, that the church in the West has lost something? The early disciples would know the fulfillment of Jesus' words very quickly. Some of them would have been flogged, beaten, imprisoned, some killed, executed. And some 245 million brothers and sisters around the world do face some kind of persecution. In a couple of weeks, the Open Doors World Watch list will be released for 2020. There will be some significant changes. But across the board, persecution has increased of believers in Jesus across the world. Because we know that Jesus and his message is truly revolutionary and counterculture in so many ways. We are grateful that we live in a pluralistic society and a pluralistic culture that accepts all beliefs, uh, even veganism this week, being accepted as not just a, a, a dietary thing, but a philosophical view. But I would dare to say that it has become anti-cultural in our society to speak of the need and the necessity of salvation through Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the only way. It's certainly not a popular message in our culture. And from the passage, we know that Jesus warns about division in families. We, we know that that is true. Across the world of our persecuted brothers, Muslim background believers, if you've not heard of what's going on in Iran, it is phenomenal how many Muslims are turning to Jesus in Iran. There is an incredible move of the Holy Spirit. But across the world, we're seeing more Muslims come to faith in Jesus now than we have ever seen. But when they come to Christ, they know the truth of this passage more than most. If they are not persecuted by the state, they are certainly persecuted by their community and even by their family. It divides families. 
the message of Jesus. Hindu background believers coming to faith in India and other parts of the world. And even here, amongst us as a congregation, there will be those of us who have experienced this, that coming to Christ has brought division in our families. There is opposition. And three times in this passage that we read together, Jesus says, don't be afraid. And you want to kind of say, why not? From what you've just said, Jesus, there is plenty to be afraid about. So what reason does Jesus give that we shouldn't be afraid? And it's perhaps not the one we expect. We might expect that Jesus would say, don't be afraid because it will all be all right. Don't be afraid because God will look after you. And both of those are true. In the widest context of God's purposes and plans, those are true. God works all things out for the good of those who love him. But the reason he gives in this passage is this. There are time is coming when everything will be revealed. Everything will be uncovered. Everything will be seen for what it really is. Those things that whispered will be shouted from the rooftops. Those things that have been held in secret will be made known to all. Time's coming, says Jesus, when everything will be revealed, uncovered, seen for what it really is. And part of us thinks, hmm, I can see why we might want to be afraid. How would you feel about the imminent disclosure of the most private thoughts and motives and actions you've ever done in your life? Shown on a big screen for everyone to see. How many of you would join with me in dying of embarrassment? I'm reminded of that wonderful story of Arthur Conan Doyle who wrote the Sherlock Holmes books who played a practical joke on his 12 best friends, so-called, He wrote them a telegram, that's how old it is, and he said, flee at once, all is discovered. All 12 left the country within 24 hours. Yes, there is a personal aspect to what Jesus is saying. Yes, there will be a revelation. But he's talking about something bigger here. This is cosmic. There will be a revelation of who Jesus is. Who he really is to the whole world. And every eye will see and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And everything will be revealed. The reality of Jesus When he comes again. The secret believers will not have to be secret. And the gospel of Jesus Christ will be revealed as the universal truth. Not just a truth. Among many truths. The truth. And all of Jesus' disciples, their faith and their loyalty... Their patience and perseverance will emerge into the light. 
The truth will be shouted from the rooftops. The truth will be undeniable. Can you not see why that might be offensive to people? If they don't believe in Jesus, that is highly offensive. I was offended by it before I became a Christian. The arrogance that says that Jesus is the only way. But I have no option anymore. I've met with Jesus. I've followed him over 30 years. I know who he is. I will take that truth to the grave and I will never deny it. And I would beg anyone to consider Christ. And truly consider him. And compare him to all the others. Who would you trust and who would you believe in? But there's a spiritual battle for all our souls. We're aware of that. In other words, when Jesus says this, truth will out, justice will prevail. There is a day coming when this world will be put right. It's coming. With every life that turns to Jesus, it's coming. The kingdom is coming. The new community of God is coming. It's coming. So Jesus' message is deeper than a quick, God will look after you, it'll be okay message, although that is true. He says, do not be afraid, do not be afraid. Three times he says, do not be afraid, and then, did you notice that? We read the passage. Don't be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. But be afraid of the one who can destroy body and soul in hell. And the majority of my week thinking about this passage has been thinking about that. Why would Jesus tell us not to be afraid three times, but in the middle of those three times tell us to be afraid? And who is he telling us to be afraid of? Now Jesus can see the obvious enemies that his disciples would face. The enemies that he has faced. There is Rome and the might of Rome and the might of human empire, human power, and Herod. And Kim Jong-un, who is one of the most brutal men who is alive on this planet, Yet we see pictures of him charging up and down on a white horse. Do you not see the arrogance of that? Who rides on a white horse? Who asks his people to worship him as a god? And yes, I want to see him saved. I want to see him bow the knee to Jesus. But he is brutalizing our family. And there are obvious enemies. And they may have power to kill the body, but that's all they have. That's all they've got. They have nothing more than that. So do not be afraid of them, says Jesus. 
But what about being afraid of the one who can destroy body and soul in hell? An enemy who may use the obvious cover? Or is it Jesus talking about God? You can read all the commentaries you like on this passage. And they're not united. Some think Jesus is referring to God himself as the one in hell. And others feel that what Jesus means is the enemy, the Antichrist, Satan himself. And in my grappling with this passage, I'm going to go with this is about Satan. For these reasons. Who is it that wants to save us? Who is it that loves us beyond our imagining? Who is it that has given his all to rescue us from sin and death and hell? It is God himself, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Who is it that wants to destroy us? It is the enemy of God. Who wants to condemn us? Who wants us all to perish in hell rather than be saved through the cross of Jesus and have that eternal life in heaven? Jesus goes on to detail the love that God has for us. He talks about sparrows, how how God loves the sparrows. And how much more will he love you? You're more important than sparrows. He even says that amazing passage about God knows the number of hairs on your head. Always has been a strange thing, hasn't it? It's God knows the number of hairs on your head. You know, he has to recount every day. Some of us. Just the detail of God's love is astonishing. We are loved. Not only are we loved, God is love. He doesn't do love. He doesn't have love. He is love. So when people say to me, well, how can this God of love, who is love, send people to hell? And I say he doesn't. He doesn't send anyone to hell. He has come to rescue us because we've all messed up, we're all in trouble, and we need a saviour. He has done everything possible. If we end up in the wrong place, it's because we've chosen it. We have said no thank you to the rescue. No thank you to the one who gave his life for us. God isn't this tyrant who decides, oh yeah, uh, I'll send those to heaven, those to hell. He says everyone can come into heaven. Everyone is invited. Everyone. No one missed out. No one overlooked. You can all come. Every one of you come. It's going to be amazing. You can't imagine how brilliant it will be. And I've made it possible. Your sins, everything that separates you from a holy God has been forgiven on the cross. It's all done. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to perform for it. You don't have to be good enough for it. You just receive it. It's all right for me. I believe it. 
Didn't those kind of preachers irritate you before you were a Christian? If you're not a Christian here this morning, you're going to be really irritated by me. But I'm so glad you're here on this Sunday morning. And it can only be that God's doing something in your life. Why would you come otherwise? And perhaps that's why the church in the West is in such decline. Is we, we've forgotten how important that is. This is life and death. This is eternity. This is heaven and hell. We have an enemy. I know I can't fathom the depths of this passage. I'll encourage you to read it again and again. But what I know from the fullness of the gospel is that we are loved. God is faithful, full stop. No circumstance can change that. Our circumstance may challenge our confidence in God, but they cannot change God's character. You cannot change who he is. You cannot change what Jesus has done. And our allegiance to Jesus will always be tested. What would it take for you or I to turn away from Jesus? What would it take? Would it take a family member saying, I don't want you to believe in Jesus anymore. I don't want you to go to church anymore. I want you to love me more than you love God. Or words to that effect. What would it take? You, you can't believe in Jesus because you might be arrested for your faith. Or even killed. And not one of us knows the answer to that because we, we haven't faced it. We don't know how we would respond. But what I have discovered and what we have discovered from our persecuted brothers and sisters is God gives them courage faith in the midst of that and some turn away they do but God always says you can come back what would it take for you to give up your faith in Jesus that strange bit when Jesus says if you love your father and mother more than me your son and daughter more than me and and you, you read that and you can say that's really harsh isn't it We've got to love God more than our mum and dad. We've got to love God more than our son and daughter. We, no, we don't have to. Read it in the context of this passage. If my mum and dad say, Philip, you loving God more than us really irritates us. I want you to stop that. I love God more than my mum and dad. I love them to bits. Don't get me wrong. Love them to bits. But I love God more. My daughter. I love God more. But I love her. Our love elevates when God is in us it doesn't decrease 
In fact, we can find love for the most unloveliest because of God's love. He's not talking to you about hating your son or your daughter. Saying if you knew how much I loved you, it would elevate your love. But if your mum and dad or your son or daughter says, give up Jesus for my sake, for their sake, would you do it? No. How can we disown Christ? Now, none of us are immune. Jesus knew. Peter denied him. Judas betrayed him. The rest ran away. The challenge remains. It's all embracing. Whose side are we on, I guess? If we lose our lives for Christ's sake, we'll find it. What's the worst that man can do to us is just kill the body. That's it. Jesus has made the way and is the way to life eternal, glorious, beyond imagining. God came in the flesh. God himself, Jesus, one of us, with the Father and the Holy Spirit. We've sung it already, name above all names, Savior of the world. He is not one amongst many. He is not just one who taught about God or shows us a better way to live. He is the only Savior of the world. The only name given under heaven by which we can be saved. And all that he promises comes through death and resurrection and his return. And Jesus is building a new creation, a new humanity, a new people of God. And he invites us to be part of it. And that remarkable promise included in this passage is that if we own him and acknowledge him, he acknowledges and owns us before the Father. Jesus will present us before his Father and say, This is my son and my daughter. Astonishing. But he warns, doesn't he, if we disown him. If we disown him, he disowns us. Not because he wants to. Because it breaks his heart. It's because he says, you, you can have what you want if that's what you've chosen. So at the beginning of this new year, we take a passage that challenges us to the core because we don't want to be people who read the word and just forget about it. We want the word of God to change us and challenge us 
transform us in the easy bits and the hard bits. And as I'm discovering, there are more hard bits than easy bits. But relationship with Jesus, according to the Apostle Paul, matters more than anything else. Because his first priority is highest goal. He compared everything else as rubbish. Amen. Oh, we got through it. Henry, would you come back? We're going to worship together.